Lab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 7th, 2019. Coming at you uh, live, live, live today. Guaranteed live because, frankly, if we had to record this thing, I am absolutely sure we would be buried under technical difficulties. But as it is, using the absolutely superb StreamYard, we are doing just fine. So, hey, Dornal, we are back. I almost forgot to say that, didn't I? Almost. My bad. Don't know how it Hey, it was a pretty good week. I actually missed most of it. I was I was logged on to World of Warcraft. Yeah, I hear World of Warcraft Classic isn't actually vanilla. Not quite. It's, uh, there are some user interface tweaks. There are a few... Uh, it's it's uh, probably a little easier to play than it was back then. It's more or less vanilla, though. I got a story to tell. <laughs> Do unless, you now? Unless you have uh, anything else to add about your week. No, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll remember something that happened besides World of Warcraft eventually. So, my brother is in town. Because he's going to a convention. It's called Fanex. And it's here uh, in Salt Lake City. So yesterday, he wants to go to the to Larry Korea's booth to his book signing. Because he's a big fan of Larry Korea. So he sh shows up at the booth early. So he can be the first in line. And there's no one, uh, no one else in line yet. So he had done something canny. He showed up early, which meant he get a, you know, he gets to get his book signed uh, quickly, get in, get out, maybe talk to Larry a little bit. Unfortunately, Larry isn't there yet. So he's going to have to wait a little bit longer. And he expected that because he's there before the signing is supposed to start. But there's somebody else there, uh, another art author or somebody working with Larry. And he talks with him for a bit, and he says, oh, by the way, my brother is, you know, he uses my real name. And the guy says, who? Give no idea who I am. And my brother says, Daddy Warpig. And the guy says, oh, yeah, Daddy Warpig. I know who that is. <laughs> I am known under Daddy Warpig, and nobody knows. It's not like it's a secret. It's not like it's hidden. It's not like I'm a pseudonymous, right? But still, Daddy Warpig gets people recognized as being related to me. And my real name, nothing. Based on prior experience with Larry in Salt Lake City, uh, I can fully confirm the uh, accuracy of that anecdote. Is is it a Daddy Warpig love fest out there in SLC? <laughs> Apparently. I'm going to rename a street after him. 
Lore Pig Avenue. Wow, what a great name for a street. The the Avenue of the War Pigs. Yes. Yeah. And and we need a, a nice bronze sculpture of a war pig right there I, at the head of the street. I Fun even it. have an official gang sign now. <laughs> yeah, I know how to throw up the W now for war pigs. <laughs> the W for war pig. <laughs> that's there amazing. There are three of us, and that's legally enough for a gang. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, well, the FBI has already been watching your Twitter stream, Daddy Warpig. So that's it. You're going to get yourself <laughs> official. We're, it's going to be us and the Juggalos, uh, domestic <laughs> gangs. Bring it. <laughs> I don't think there's a Juggalo Warpig uh, overlap, though. I like Vigo. Really what else you got? Sorry. There is a huge uh, overlap between people who follow me on Twitter and. Uh, Military veterans, like long-term military veterans, twenty-year-plus military veterans. It's it's. Uh, well, that's probably the Korea influence, right? It's kind of astounding, really. Marshall Victory in the chat suggests War Pig Alley. I like it. War Pig Alley. <laughs> War Pig Alley. And then Evan Fitzhume has, has a great singer here. They would have to rename it because nobody crosses War Pig and lives. <laughs> so anyways we have a guest on the show i hear and we do who is it oh he didn't show up brian you'll have to do <laughs> yeah no i was flashing back a bit there <laughs> yeah, it's back. always good to have you back it's always good to be back um is anybody in the in anybody in the crowd new to this should should we introduce you properly go ahead Brian Niemeyer, science fiction author, Campbell nominated, <laughs> well, and Dragon Award winning uh, uh, novelist, is here to talk about your new giant robots pounding each other into rubble book. Was that yeah. a fair assessment? It's it's a lot more than that. It that really was not fair at all. It's a lot well, more than that. Well, sorry to cut you off, but there there is one correction. It's it's not uh, Campbell nominee anymore. Oh yeah, they—that's right. They—they they unpersoned Campbell, didn't they? They—they they did. Uh, what's what is it called now? Astounding Award or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it is. They named it after the magazine. Are uh, you kidding me? But they can't retroactively change all the prior nominations. That, you know, if someone who won the award would say, "Yeah, I won the you know the Campbell Award back oh. in 1984 or oh, you'd think so, but uh, Scalzi, for example, is out there. So yeah, I, I fully endorse this. Campbell was a horrible fascist, and I'm proud to be an a retroactive astounding nominee. I should probably say it in a higher register. Anyway. How <laughs> how is it a bunch of authors have not read 1984 and they don't understand what you know who what type of person or, or what's required for writing rewriting history? Yeah, I, I mean trying to put authors with no understanding of the, the past who have uh have purposefully Memory hold it to bring up Orwell. Yeah, this is my shock face. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to get a confirmation here. So, DW, you had not heard about this. You missed this. I guess not. He's he's missing a lot. Oh well, he's he's busy. <laughs> Wait, did somebody ask me a question? He did. It was really fast. He said, "DW." Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading the chat. I was trying to get caught up with the chat oh. to see if there were any questions or something. I figured I, you two were talking. I'd run through real quick and, you know, do the backup job. That's okay. I need to enunciate more carefully. 
Okay, I'm here. DW is paying attention. What was the question? So you had not heard that uh, they renamed the Campbell Award. I heard there was some rant about it, that some chick got up on stage, like at the Campbell's, who was presenting the nominations and did some stupid rant. I, I, I didn't hear anything else. I just figured that was as far as it went. No. Um, you, 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 you got to understand that my life is really hectic right now for many reasons. And so if I don't run across something that forces me to learn the entire story of something, I just don't go hunting for it because I don't have time or energy enough to care. I see. Um, <laughs> like the Sharpie thing, I still don't know entirely what it's about. I just know the specter of CNN like arguing with itself over when it lied about agreeing with Trump is so colossally stupid they have to be wrong somewhere. Good point. I'm just saying. Maybe I should have made a different point than the, like a political one, you know, to stick with this show. But still, I just... I hear things, oh yeah, Campbell was a fascist. I'm like, dude, I'm well known as like the big firebrand against against that age of the the the, uh, the killjoys, the commies, and the cognitively challenged. They rode in on their mopeds and ruined science fiction. Okay, I am known for not liking that age, Campbell's age. At the same time, you see that Campbell, Killjoys, Commies, Cognitively Challenged, how that all fits? At the same time, I uh, even I don't think he was a fascist. I mean, they call anybody a fascist. Do you want the law enforced? Then you're a fascist. Do you like marching bands dressed in uniforms? Then you're a fascist. Do you want the military or police dressed in uniforms? Fascist! So I just, I assume whenever an SJW accuses somebody of being a fascist, that they're lying. And I didn't dig into it any deeper than that. So, my bad. Uh, I think we can let it go this time. Amen. So they they, they cancel cultured Campbell is what happened. Yes. With the history retroactively erasing his name from the award, that's a nice touch. I like that. Man. I wish Orwell is still alive so he could see all this stuff. He killed himself, literally killed himself to write that book. He was sick. He was ill. Um, with a very, very bad case. I think it was the flu, but it might have been something else. Something that was treatable. Like if he had stopped writing 1984, he, he could have gotten treatment and maybe would have lived. But he maybe could have died anyway, and we would never have gotten 1984. But he kept at it in his bed, sick as garbage, and finished that book to give it to the human race. And that book has proved such a treasure trove of concepts and information 
that it's like, you know what? I am sad that Orwell died. But at the same time, if he died producing this work, then he at least left a legacy behind that was fitting his talents, that was fitting his talent and his intelligence and his life experiences. He left something behind of great worth and value. And that is something that is, uh, you know, that that's something that every artist can, can aspire to. It's like that what you leave the world will be remembered as being worthwhile, being worth you having been here. It is. And it's a testimony against us that we didn't listen to the warning he gave his life for. That's that's something worth dying for. So <laughs> not the forgetting part. They they unpersoned Campbell. Holy crap. <laughs> Long before uh before Gern's back gets the oh. same treatment. Man alive. I mean nobody's really surprised, right? Was there anything else that happened at the Q Ghost that I missed? Any other particular atrocity this year? Just other than the winners looking like uh, the most likely cantina denizens in evening wear. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, did you see that picture? I should try and I should try and find that picture. Uh, other than the winners looking like the uh, product of the ice sculpture challenge, the world ice sculpture challenge in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Yeah. Other than that. No, nothing. No, okay. actually it was, it was pretty uneventful other than the, that ridiculousness. Yeah. The speech and then the impersonating. Yeah. They, they've gone back to complacency, but it's funny. They're, they're, they are strutting around like, you know, like the pimpest penguin in the South Pole. And, uh, you know, like a little penguin would if you gave him some gold chains and some grills and a, a big fur coat. He'd be strutting up and down on the, the ice flows. Give him a cane, right? That is a penguin. And all the other little penguins look at him and say, he's so pimp. He's so pimp. I want to grow up to be just like him. And they think they're bad. They think they, quote-unquote, won. And they didn't win. The only reason nobody's fighting over the Hugos anymore is because they have sunk into obscurity. Nobody cares anymore. They have succeeded in cementing the irrelevance of the Hugo Awards. They're nobodies now. They are tiny little nothings. I mean, we had Mark Hamill come out to Fanex last year, and we have a we have an NFL basketball team here in Utah, the Utah Jazz, and they have a stadium that sits multiple tens of thousands of people. I don't want to say how much because I don't actually know, but it's like. 30,000 people, 40,000 people sit in this stadium. And we had Mark Hamill come out here to do a question and answer session 
at Fanex, and they had to block off about a third of it, but the rest of it was filled with people. So Mark Hamill filled up a, stage, a stadium, we'll say 40,000 people, you block off a third of it, you know, that's going to be what? Uh, just about like 25,000 people left, right? Um, 25,000 people sat down and talked to Mark Hamill and asked him some questions and had a discussion with him. And that is five times more than the people who show up to Worldcon. The World Science Fiction Convention. Five times as many people showed up to ask Mark Hamill questions at this convention than go to all of the world than a science fiction convention. Well, like, for more, relevant. For more direct comparison, uh, and the dragons are moving from strength to strength. They're running roughshod over Worldcon. I didn't see the uh, voting or attendance numbers this year, but it just keeps growing. And uh, then Larry posted on Facebook uh, some whining article by Cora Bullard, who's like, well, the Dragon Awards still manage to fall short of respectability. And tra translation, they're not woke enough for you. Well, <laughs> there might be a causal relationship between our award gaining popularity and yours shriveling to irrelevancy. It's just a thought. Yeah, and that sort of that false dichotomy of it's a popularity contest versus a judgment of quality. Like we're we're gonna we have to find we're gonna select for the right voters, and instead of uh, and in their mind selecting for the voters with the right politics, of course they're gonna vote for the best stories. Yeah, well, and that's that's the other thing. Originally, the the world count crowd claimed that their their awards were not only the the best but they're what the science fiction readership wanted and the dragon's like okay well here's just an honest to goodness people's choice award and the difference couldn't be more stark if you compare the winners what actual fandom is voting for is they're voting for larry korea they're voting for nick cole right yeah sort of these guys that that until i did the show with you brian i had no idea that there were so many popular authors making money hand over fist just serving their audiences like these are guys that you don't really you never even heard of but they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of readers who just love them and and want to see them succeed yeah that's that's a lot of can of worms i mean that um like let's take the example of literally who who has sadly returned recently after uh, committing murder, but uh, she's, she's going to fail upward. I'm totally serious. She's going to fail upward into a, a cushy Marvel writing gig, right? So the SJWs have this whole support structure. They, they, they've captured the institutions. So they get to just move like locusts, destroying one field after the next. I mean, she destroyed Vertigo. Um now she's going to ruin, I think, Hellcat is the book she's on. It is literally leaving a trail of bodies. But, uh, yeah, dude, just go, good, good for you, you little, little scamp here. You want a lollipop? And he just pat you on the head and kick you up to the, the next office 
higher up in the next floor. Meanwhile, we're on our own. Like that readership that Nick and Larry have, they had to build that through pleasing readers, through learning the ropes, learning marketing and the algorithm. And <laughs> like Daniel Warfick said, they're, they're actually making a living with this. If, uh, if folks like Jemison and Scalzi left their New York sinecures and actually had to come over to Indy with us, their mojo would totally fail them. They'd be working at Uber or Starbucks within a month. Well, I wonder about that. Maybe Scalzi's a bad example. He's, I've never heard him described as any better than an eh, okay author, but he does seem to have a lot of fans and, and I think he'd prove you wrong. Not that I think he's any good, but I think he'd prove you wrong. I think uh, if he really got out there and had to sell his book himself to, you know, all, all the people that follow his blog or whatever, I, I, I think he'd be able to afford a cup of coffee anyway. I don't know not for long because he's not fast enough. Oh, I see. Yeah. He he wouldn't make enough off the back catalog. He's not producing enough uh, stuff. Yeah. The name of the game. If you're, you're, you're going to go new pub is fast release. I mean, uh, ask John Delrose about this. We got on last week. uh, Ask, ask Nicole, you've got to produce. You can't get away with one or two doorstopper novels a year. Well, that's a good point. I keep going back to this example. Um, I knew someone who read romance novels and Nora Roberts is like the queen of romance novels. And she just puts out like two, three books a year. And it's, it's the same, you know, dozen stock characters sort of grab a few of them and and mix them up in a different way for each book. Uh, And, and she just pumps them out. Yeah. That's, and that's slow. I mean, uh, I've got the image somewhere around here, but just how much romance dominates fiction. I mean, uh, I really think it shouldn't be categorized as a fiction genre alongside science fiction, fantasy, mystery, and thriller and horror because, I mean, let's be honest, romance is to women what like Hustler and Playboy are to men. Oh, for sure. They're not, yeah, they don't get... A romance reader isn't reading a romance novel for the same reason that a sci-fi reader reads a sci-fi story or a horror reader reads a horror story. Nevertheless, uh, this is where we are, and it is cataloged with the other genres, and it just blows them away by like three or four times. And a lot of those are indies who are cranking out a book a month. Well, I, I mean, I don't even know how to comprehend. Like, I know that I talked to John about this in person, and and the dude just he barely has time to sleep. Yeah, uh, John John Delarose. Oh, I don't know how they do it. Um, plus, can we talk about can we talk about comics for a second? Uh, how are they so successful? Do you, either of you guys know? How were they or are they? Are they? I mean, uh, John Delarose is making so much more cash and 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 exposure so he's making a big splash bigger splash with his comic uh kickstarters than with his actual novels what is going on uh daddy Warpig, you, you read comics can you shed any light on this this is insane uh it's a real bad day f- 
to ask me to synthesize new thoughts right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you've been catching up on comics. I know that, uh, I don't know, they just seem really popular. I don't, I don't understand it. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of furor in comics right now. And I think that all of the, a lot of people who are longtime comics fans are up in arms about it. And I think that's driving them to support uh, comics at price points they wouldn't otherwise buy. Um, I bought something last month on an Indiegogo at a price point I still think is insane. And I'm still kind of mad at myself for doing it. At the same time, I don't know that I would go back and change it even if I could. I'm just like, eh, that's a lot of money, man. So maybe people are in there like I am. I'm not saying John is that expensive, but my point is if someone who is this expensive, it was $70 for two trade paperbacks, but they would be like $12 or $15 from Marvel or DC, and it was a piece, so like $30 from Marvel or DC, um, $30, $35, and he was selling them for $70. So John isn't nearly that expensive, so you can see why John would make a lot of money if people are willing to shell out $70 from John Malin, why they would shell out you know, $30 from John De La Rose. Um, so uh, maybe that's why he can make so much, is that people are willing to spend at higher price points just to get some good comics. Oh, all right. I'll buy that. I mean, I won't. But... <laughs> so, all right, that's, that's enough drama. I want to know about giant robots, Brian. What would you like to know about giant robots? Well... I mean, I know a little bit about this kick, this Indiegogo campaign. Uh, I, I have, I have to, I have to give disclosure. I didn't wait until the show to buy a build a Mac perk. I'm, I'm in. I've funded this. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, but what can you tell me? What's your, what's your pitch on this one? Well, first of all, I can tell our viewers that uh, if you look at the picture on screen right now, and you see those little thumbnails below the the video the the green ones it's like starting third from the left those are john's previous build a mech entries from our last campaign i i love uh, this stuff I, I love this stuff this this wasn't even the picture i had in my head when uh when i i started working with you and <laughs> we've got such a great guy in chat art anon and and we worked with him over a course of a few days over email, and he comes out with this really great stuff. Yeah, he's a joy to work with. Uh, in fact, if you scroll through, everything to the right of that until the last one, except for the last one, is a build a mech. So if you just scroll through those, and you know, there's another form of yours. I've got all these up on uh, my website, Kairos, under the mecha tab. I've got uh, stats for all of them too. I like this one, the guy with the, with the big club. I'm sorry, that, that is not a build a mech, but that one is. Oh, the one with the big club is not a build a mech. No, this one is. The the one before it was not. Oh, okay. But that one right there is a build a mech. So is that. This is awesome. And so is that. Uh, I love this. I love that that thing that you do for your readers. 
uh, it's a great idea. I wish more people would do it. Uh, I, I tried to get John Della Rose to do it, and, uh, and I don't think he took me up on the author uh, offer. Uh, so to uh, kind of give readers a stake in in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I figure if you if you give people ownership, it doesn't detract from your ownership because it, they're going to do it anyway. Anytime someone reads one of your books, he generates a whole new universe in his head, and it's not the one you you initially thought of. Like like you were saying, with your first build a mech. Right, that is your idea filtered through Artanon's pen, and that yes, that happens anytime anyone consumes some form of literature. So I figure, why not instead of trying to work against the the process, work with it, right? And uh, yeah, what? yeah, that's that's what made our experience really good too, because I would have a vague idea, a vague notion of what I wanted to do, and and you would then return with, okay, I can work that into my story, into my narrative, into my world kind of like this and then and then we can build off of that yeah exactly oh and i gotta point out that emperor who's in chat right now designed the other build besides yours uh, hopefully uh we can talk him into coming back and doing another one because i mean between the the two of you we've got a nice fleet going <laughs> I, I i don't mind being personally responsible for half the amazing build in the universe uh, I, I actually gave it a day. I gave it two or three days, I think. In fact, yeah. when when your campaign started, I'm like, I'm going to let someone else pick up these perks. I just can't have them all to myself. <laughs> you, you do a good enough job. <laughs> uh, I'm glad people like it because my first one was really weird. My next one's going to be uh, a little bit more traditional. Um, Still exciting, though, I think. Oh, of course, I think so. I will also point out that uh, as of this broadcast... There is one build a mech slot left. Okay. Oh, someone's got to pick that there, there are three. I was reading the wrong one. There, there are three left. Okay. Uh, they're going fast. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is for the novel. I think everybody listening pretty much knows about knows what this is about. Uh, what other what other perks can you get on this? I should you know I should just scroll down. Well, the one that there's one of left. Uh, the, the one I was actually looking at is a bee in a book where you can self-insert, or uh, you can claim it on behalf of a friend or loved one, or an enemy, although I would recommend the be killed in a book perk for that. Oh, yeah. I charge extra to make you a character and kill you, <laughs> which has been quite popular, because it, it's mean. You know it's going to be interesting. You're not just going to like slip in the shower. All right. Well. Gonna, for anybody watching on YouTube, yeah, I've got the, I've got the page up right now. Be in a book. There's one, one available. Three out of four claimed. Uh, that's a hundred, <laughs> uh, but be killed in a book. Uh, there's, there's still three of those <laughs> charge you extra to be killed. <laughs> you got someone you don't like. Great. And I know some folks have their eyes on that. So, uh, don't delay. Cause let's see, we are currently less than 60 bucks. Yeah. We're like uh 53 bucks from unlocking our second stretch goal. And that's the trading cards. Trading cards is, is this related to a, a is that a game or is it just uh like like old baseball cards? They're uh, they're like old baseball cards, but they also have the mechs complete stats on the back. So one, they make handy bookmarks. Two, they make handy references for if you're reading a giant robot fight and you want a scorecard on the participants. Oh, refer to the cards. Yes, yeah, so they're uh, people love them for that. 
So we've got our third run of trading cards. The first two are still available for sale as perks this time, but uh, we haven't yet released the uh, the third. And as a matter of fact, if you go to if you scroll up and go to the updates tab, I announced our winners, and you can see the four designs that are going to be the next one of trading cards. Three of which are build a max. Uh huh. So you're going to get trading cards of the core first. That's the the guy with the giant chain sword, the Exceed 100. That's uh, with the pepper box uh, rifle. Yep. The guy with the shotgun. Uh, a shotgun. The guy with the uh, heavy armor, and of course your new uh, your new image here, the big Metatron. Indeed. Well. Cool. I- that's I voted I voted for my harvester, of course, but that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna win the trading card battle. It came really close though. It had a good showing. Okay. You got nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> I believe it, it just missed the cut by a couple of votes and it was right under Metatron. Here's uh here's the good thing about in Indiegogo. Um if you do good on Indiegogo, they will absolutely promote you. Um, your boy, Zach, who, uh, is notorious for having people coming after him, accusing him of being a Nazi, Indiegogo pushes him on their front page because he makes a ton of money on Indiegogo, which means he makes a ton of money for Indiegogo. And Despite all the people that are attacking him and complaining to them and trying to get him taken down, they publicize him on the front page. Yeah, man. Bottom line is what matters. It, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter for for Patreon. It doesn't matter for Kickstarter. But on Indiegogo, if uh, even if you're uh, quote unquote deplorable, they will promote you. So that's just a just a thought for you guys out there who are looking at. Uh, crowdfunding campaigns, Indiegogo, at least right now, um, will actually publicize you if you if you give them good returns. So yeah, they they publicized my first two campaigns. They featured them. So and uh, like forty percent of my backers for the first campaign came from Indiegogo, and it's it's gone down a bit because I retained those people, and they come back. But uh, this time it's still like a good five percent. Our, uh, our new faces brought in by Indiegogo. So uh, the, the consensus on guys like me and uh, JD and Kursova is Indiegogo is a little better for creators, whereas Kickstarter is better if you have, like, have a product. So that's what we found. But anyway, I know Darnell's been trying to get the synopsis of this book out of me all show. So I'll, I'll go ahead and deliver here. <laughs> uh, the general concept for Combat Frame X Seed is I found that the mecha genre, both major branches, both the anime spiky mech and the Western stompy mech were really more abund. They they kind of said what they wanted to say. We're, we're, we're just kind of trapped uh, in a, a trope spiral that that's more, more anime like where it's, we're either doing Gundam or Eva and that's all anything can be. And then in the West, we descended kind of into the space Marine, gray goo meat grinder, so I thought, you know, this could really use a shot in the arm. And examining the problem, I saw, well, you know what? These two genres are really complementary 
and each one kind of makes up for what's lacking in the other. So why don't we do a Reese's peanut butter cup here? What, you know, why don't we do like Jurassic Park and splice the DNA from one into what's lacking in the other and make something new. So I was just hoping to uh, just create something fun, something a bit fresh in the mech genre while doing what's basically a Gundam homage. But readers have really latched onto this and said, no, this is a minor revolution in Mecca. It's it's breathing new life into this. We, we kind of forgot Mecca could do this kind of stuff and, and make us feel this way. So it succeeded beyond my ambitions. I'm glad people are digging it. So that's the overall concept. Um, I really think I established that in the first two books. So there's no reason for me to reiterate that in the third here. What we have with CY 42nd coming is like the title says, it's the conclusion, the, the second part of the Coalition Year 40 storyline begun in book two. Okay, so Coalition Year 40 ended on a cliffhanger. I believe a natural cliffhanger. And CY 42nd coming picks up immediately after Coalition Year 40 left off. We just get right back into the action um, and into the same battle from the end of book two and show the resolution of that. And then we move on and show the resolution of the story arc during the events of Coalition Year 40. And that was, of course, giant space battle. That was that was amazing. No, oh, thanks. I, I do enjoy those. And, and if you like... As I'm gonna, I'm gonna harp on the the reward, the uh, perks again, because sometimes your build a mech ha plays a significant part in the uh, amazing cliffhanger ending. Uh, something that is wholly unexpected when you build the mech, yeah. and it's great. I try to give super abundantly, like with with, with both hands. Most <laughs> importantly. So yeah, uh, how. How to describe this without spoilers? Uh, I believe it was in a Starfleet battles module. I was reading. I think it's where they introduced the Tholians. I want to say. And there's a a brief story that I think ties into a Star Trek novel, but don't quote me on that. Where, like, okay, Federation, you know, you you think you're the baddest kid on the block, but all right now now deal with this energy web, right? And it's the scenario is designed to be daunting to the player and to require most of your resources and all of your cunning to think your way out of. So you, you barely survive this new threat that's invaded Federation space. And then in the second module, you find out, oh, those guys that we thought were an invading armada, those were that race's equivalent of like the police. <laughs> those were all cops. These guys over here are their military. Oh, no. Yeah, and then, yeah, just th that sinking feeling sets in, right? So, uh, so you're, where, you're setting up a, one of those, uh, you, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's fighting over the fate of the Earth, or, you know, or over control of the Earth when, you know, something bigger and, and more, you know, an existential threat actually appears. Yeah, exactly, and... We get the first glimmers of that in Collision Year 40. It's expanded on 
And I actually answer the lingering questions from the previous two books in in book three here, in COI 42nd Coming. So if you've ever wondered, what did Sanzen find on Mars? What is Megami? Who was Marilyn talking to when she was doing her whole SETI at home thing? What what was with uh, the, the kind of weird time warps that uh, Max and uh, Todd did at the end? I answer all that. Uh, I, I answer what the secta, including your Dildamac, is. And then I introduce something, just orders of magnitude more horrifying, which uh, will, will form the basis of the conflict for the the third main story arc, the, the concluding story arc of Combat Frame X Seed and Combat Frame X Seed S and Double S. Uh, that's pretty grand and sweeping. And I, and I appreciate that because you have left a, f a few things unanswered. And I think you answered the question about the, the weird time blips uh, in private conversations, but you haven't really done a full explanation in in book, in, in the actual narrative. Uh, so those are sort of outstanding uh, dangling questions. They're like, so what did happen there? What, what actually uh, went on at, at the end of that book? Yeah, and we're going to get those answers. Cool. Uh, I I I like the answer. I think I think everybody's going to like the answer, or, or or what little of the answer you were allowed to uh, to show me. Well, I'm glad you're backing me up on this. That I'm not just pulling a, a Robert Jordan or George R. R. Martin. I'll take that back. I think Robert Jordan actually did have it planned out, but uh, I'm not just making this up as I go along. I know exactly where I'm going. I've had all of this outlined four years and i'm just executing right yeah i mean th that much is clear it's this isn't one of those things where uh well i need the guy i need the good guys to teleport away uh to survive this so th it happens there we go I'll, I'll figure it out later that's not what's happening here uh it's it's definitely it's definitely something that you intended to happen or something that you intended to explain later yeah if, if you dig into it you'll note that i did set that up and gave her a good reason to have that information mm -hmm. without going into spoilers without yeah. going into spoilers too many too many spoilers um i think uh, i think you're being humble here when you talk about you talk about putting the pieces together and putting a, a book together that infuses the two aspects of the robot genre that you like i think one aspect that you're that you've glossed over is the fact that as far as your style of writing goes uh this might be your wheelhouse this might be uh your genre right here this uh military science fiction uh, anime inspired uh, action uh, because you the the pace that you hit in your writing is a different feel from your first series of books um and and i for one like it no, that's interesting. I mean, that, that's solid gold feedback. Thank you. Because from my point of view, I don't notice anything different when I sit down to write. Uh, I know I'm writing a different genre, different characters, but in terms of just the workmanlike nuts and bolts, you know, my, my sentence and paragraph level writing, uh, I don't notice a change. Sure. So I, I don't know. It might just be that, that old saw that writers get better with time just just from practice that's probably what's happening 
Uh, back to the chat. Uh, let's test your robot knowledge to the chest. Can you help Emmett Fitzhume? Miniature robotics with wind-up mo motors. They resemble dinosaurs and AT-ATs. Oh. Those sound really familiar. I have no idea. Uh, apparently, so, uh, someone in the chat thinks it's a manatee mech. I don't know. <laughs> I do see that he called for a platypus mech. Um, I can't promise a platypus mech, but there will be a platypus in the series. Uh, if, if you scroll down to the image for the be a character perk. Oh, uh, sure. Let me find that. And you see the character there? I'll wait for you. Because I love this image. It was done by my character portrait designer, Ashion101. Uh, it's Gold Orphan on, on Twitter. She's great. She does it my buddy, um, Adam Smith's covers. But uh, you will notice... I don't know if you can blow it up, but there, there's a platypus on her shoulder. Sorry, I tried to to zoom in, and I get, I didn't get what I wanted. Yeah, I don't think it'll let you. Okay. Yep. There's a little there's a little brown platypus on her shoulder. His name is 007. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yep, it's a anime looking character with a platypus on her shoulder, and on the other shoulder is uh, looks like a submachine gun. So there you go. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be an MP5, but I think uh, if I just drew it a little big, it works, though. It, you get the impression. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you can look forward to Platypi. Unfortunately, I don't know what that tour series is, although it definitely rings a bell. Let me work on that for a minute. <laughs> um, hey, and if you want a Platypus mech, there's a there's a real easy I won't call it cheap but there's a real easy way to get one in the series. Arden and I did uh, voluntarily do an emu mech. <laughs> an emu <laughs> mech. Or, oh yeah. That's a good idea. The uh, the CFE mu, the Greek letter dash zero one. I believe it's serial number. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the the platypus has electrical sensory organs and poison the male so, do yeah so how would you model that in in a mech would it would it actually actually inject poison or would it be some sort of plasma attack nanomachines nanomachines okay well Emmett, were you thinking of robostrux robostrux i don't know because i found that i'll have to ask him I have no idea. They look kind of like what he's talking about. Uh, you mech guys are hilarious. That That's a whole genre that passed me by, uh, especially on the tabletop. Uh, Battletech, Mech Warrior, very popular franchises. Um, so are, are you doing, are you planning on doing a full game or are you going to do a, like an add-on? Like here's how you can play Xseeds in on your Battletech table. Well, one interesting development as I have uh, released the Exit series is I've accumulated an international team of expert anons to to my side. I've got a small army of them now. So you you know Art Anon, who is here with us. Uh, there's also Video Anon, who I'm, I'm sure is or will be watching this, who designed the book trailer for uh, CY 42nd Coming which you be compared to the previous two, which I did myself. You can tell there's a market jump in quality this time. 
Uh, that's at the the top of the Indiegogo page. But uh, there's also now Cardanon, who has joined us, and he had his own military. I think it's an an LCG is what you'd call it because he it's it's not cardboard crack like Magic the Gathering. But he, he had his own rules, and he adopted he adapted Exceed to it. So, oh, that sounds oh, nice. Yeah, and so we've got the rules. We've got the cards. I'm just trying to figure out how to make prototypes. Uh, I think I'm just going to grab some card stock and print out a bunch of cards myself and play test it. But uh, yeah, if you've got a if you've got a CCG collection or if you've got opaque sleeves like for Magic cards or something like that, it's very easy to just print proxies, just standard printer paper, and then you could just use Magic cards or trading cards as the backers. If if you're just testing, if you're just prototyping. You know, even writing it on a slip of paper and tucking it in a sleeve is is that's the way we do it when we play test. Uh, we play test vampire cards. We'll just okay. we'll, we'll we'll print and play. We'll just use existing cards as the back. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually did a bunch of research on that about oh. ten years ago. Yeah, what, and, what, and my by intensive research, I mean I asked John about it. <laughs> <laughs> he can verify it's the truth. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, there there are lots of print and play services. Uh, especially uh, board games are so popular that there's services that will play uh, or they'll play a uh, print prototypes for you to play with. And I don't know any off the top of my head. I don't know what's popular right now, but yeah, you can you can get cards printed if you really want proper cards printed. They're a little expensive, um, and uh, uh, but ultimately it might be your best bet for uh, for actually producing the games like a print on demand service. But uh, just for prototyping, you can you can pay a little extra and have it done. But I recommend just you know using using some opaque sleeves and and pr just regular printer paper, or even notebook paper, if you just want to write it down with a pen. That's probably the quickest way to get get the game into the hands of someone to play test. Thanks. Yeah, because I uh, I do get the uh, the magic sleeves. That's how I actually ship my uh, XE trading cards. Oh, there you go. Yeah, go Walmart, get a bunch of those. But uh, I I. Definitely don't want even playtesters to miss out on Ardenon and Todd's excellent artwork. So, uh, yeah, even if I just got to print out on regular paper and use other cards for, for the backing, that should be great because all the information on the card fits on one side. Uh, the, the rules have been described as very Yu-Gi-Oh-like by people in the know. Take, take that for what's worth. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know anything about Yu-Gi-Oh. Okay. Except that they made it, it made a cartoon, right? It was a cartoon where they played the card game. Yeah, apparently the show sucks. The game is great. I hear that. <laughs> uh, okay. Card game enthusiasts. But uh, but yeah, that, that is the one challenge uh, because with my current printing service, which was the most uh, reasonable I could find, like basically the minimum run of one particular printing of a card is 25. So I'm, I'm locked into doing at least 25. So when I offer a set of four cards, I'm really ordering four sets of 25 of the same card. Oh. Right, so 100 at a time. And that's, so they won't just let me mix up. they like, okay, I want you to print a, a 40-card deck with like three of each of these cards. They won't do that. Uh, so seeing as how there's like over a, a dozen different different cards that we have, 
that would cost me a lot to do through this current service. So I'll have to either find something else or it would probably take doing a crowdfunder just for the card game. Oh, sure. You could do it that way. Uh, do it on Kickstarter. You get your art resources set up. You have a nice campaign. It's big for board games uh, right now. Board games and card games. You can get new stuff out on Kickstarter. Um, in fact, I just, I just got a request. For, uh, a couple of people picked up brand new games uh, from people who are, who are proven board game makers. Like, yeah, I got the new thing off of Kickstarter, funded like 50000 got my copy. Let's learn how to play it, right? Like, these, these people are dropping serious cash. Uh, oh, um, on these games. I'm sorry. Let me jump in. Well, you don't actually have to go to a card printing service if you don't want to, if that's too expensive. Although I can't imagine it'll be more expensive than the next option I'm about to give you. In the process of literally uh, investigating this, if you have, um, there are uh, a specific set of templates for labels for different options by a specific company that are in the, that are industry standards. And somebody can remind me what this name is. I'm sure John looks. I can't remember the name right now. But you have a set of these templates. There'll be uh, a standard Photoshop template for them that if you pick up a label, a sheet of labels or a stack of labels for them, you can print out, you can make up in Photoshop, mock up what you want in cards, and then print them out on your printer, a laser printer or whatever you have. Mm -hmm. um, and then there'll be labels you peel off, so they're stickers, and slap them on the front of regular playing cards. Just go buy yourself a cheapo box of bicycle cards or whatever, and then use standard sleeves that you buy at any, you know, Magic the Gathering store or whatever, or cheap ones that you can, you know, let like people keep their baseball cards in or whatever. And then you can play your game. You've got these mock-ups in the sleeves and you test it out and if you don't want to get all fancy and print them in the full colors these are just test ones um then you just print them in black and white and that way they're not as expensive to print um there's whole levels of of things you can do to to do temporary things to play test stuff before going up for the actual okay here's the real stuff to prototype just to see how everything is before you send it out to a print shop to get it printed. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, and also, uh, apparently, Megabuster Shepherd and Emmett Fitzhuman chat have identified the animatronic dinosaur mecha toys. They are Mechabonica, which were the precursor to Zoids. Oh, well, now now I know more about toys. Indeed. But yeah, DW, thank you for the recommendation. I'll have to look into that. John, do you remember what these labels were called? I don't. I, I really don't. Sorry. And oh. I, 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 you described it, and I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, the internet knows. But you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. You've heard of these before. I yeah. think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember what it is. That's fine. I'm, I'm sure uh, our, our viewers are, are are just captivated by the <laughs> ins and outs of Avery. They're called Avery labels. Avery labels. Yeah, 
and, and they have them for everything. I mean, you have them for specific sizes of shipping labels and, you know, whatever, but they have some that are the right size for playing cards. And the, the virtue of them is you can, they have Avery labels that you can import into Photoshop or whatever and do everything on uh, in your computer and then print them out onto the labels themselves and it'll match because you've already done it in the computer. You have the template right there. All right, I've made a note. Thank you. Um, um. All right, guys. We are, we're running low. We're running close to the hour mark. Hmm. What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> now, uh. the really important thing about Avery labels. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was holding my breath there. Everybody's like, oh, uh, are we getting a war pig rant on labels? <laughs> What's you going on Zach. here? <laughs> your boy Zach can get away with it. Uh, I, I wouldn't even try because I'm already bored. I'm already falling asleep from just diving back into that. I mean, the thing is, this is research for my secret project, right? And you would be astounded at the number of really, really strange avenues I've had to gun down, go down just to research some stuff. And in fact, that Avery label research is still pertinent. I haven't reached the point where I'm going to be doing play testing on cards, but that's in the future, maybe a year away, maybe a year and a half or two years away. And so I still have that notes from that in my uh, documents ready to go when I hit the point where I have to start playtesting. I mean, I did all that research 10 years ago, and it's sitting around for the point in production when it's pertinent. I had to do some really weird stuff that's had to sit there in a long time waiting for other stuff to get done. It's a huge project. It takes a long time. <laughs> we are reaping rewards. Well, see, that's the, that's the thing about Geek Gab. We don't just talk about stuff. We don't just talk about, like, oh, what was the plot of this movie? Oh, was this movie good or bad? Or, oh, you know, what books writer coming on the show have you got? And we, we also talk about practical stuff for people listening in. Um, maybe not as much as other things, but, you know, we give out good, solid information. I'm kind of proud of that. When you listen to this show, we've given out good, solid information about Amazon, about websites to go to to get information about different things. We, we uh, provide a lot of things that you wouldn't expect uh, a podcast like this to provide, and, and I'm proud of that. Me too. Uh, it's really great talking shop, talking about the business side of things, talking about, uh, how, yeah, it's great that you wrote something, but how do you get from writing something to getting it in front of people, right? Getting it in in their eye, into in readers' eyeballs. Yeah, and 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 I like talking about the gaming stuff. I, I like if you go back to some of our older episodes, we have a lot of uh, game night episodes with Douglas Cole, and we spend half of those shows just talking about all the costs and and decisions he had to make producing RPG product. I mean, most of us haven't produced an RPG module before, so it's 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 new. It's interesting. There's actually cool information there. Indeed. And yeah, you, um, you should take pride in this. It's it's not just entertainment; it's a public service. 
That's that's it. That's that's our catchphrase. Geek Gab, a public service. <laughs> there will be twenty five cents every time you use it. <laughs> oh, perfect! I'm gonna advertise with that now. All right. Well, should we call this one for today? I think we're gonna call it. It's been right. it's been really great uh, having you back, Brian. Always a pleasure. Uh, please write more stuff so you can come back and join us. Likewise. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep writing till they shovel dirt on my coffin. So no worries. Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, thanks so much for everybody hanging out in chat. We had a lively discussion about mechs and games and things with uh, with the usual crowd. Uh, appreciate everybody who joined in live to say hi. Yeah, thanks everybody. All right, and I'd like to thank everybody for uh, tuning in, for uh, listening live, and everybody who listens to the show later. Um, you, of course, can get us on YouTube.com slash GeekGab, YouTube.com slash GeekGab. You can also get us on SoundCloud.com, on the iTunes Store, and on the Google Play Store. Just do a search for GeekGab, and we're available in all those places, so you can download us to the device of your choice. We are signing off for today, but don't you worry. Wait, don't wait, you wait. Before you say it, before you say it, I got to say, get get down there. Link to the campaign on Indiegogo is in the show notes. Go push us over the edge. Unlock those trading cards. All right. We're big. Sorry. Go. Don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.